Hey guys, this is Corey Russell, and I'm so excited you're about to hear this message on the beauty of Jesus. I pray it blesses you and it rocks you and it fascinates you. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Well, it's an honor to be with you guys. The Lord did meet us last night, and uh, I'm so grateful that he loves to meet us again and again and again. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John 17. John 17. I want to kind of, a uh, couple of weeks ago, I spoke out of Revelation 22:17. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Hallelujah. <laughs> come on, Phil. And, uh, and I talked about how God is going to bring forth a church out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation that where the church and the Holy Spirit are going to come into unity with one another. The church is going to operate in a bridal identity. And the primary anointing on the end time church is going to be the spirit of prayer. And God's going to use great presence, global presence, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He's going to use great presence and he's going to use great pressure. Hallelujah. Great presence and great pressure to bring forth a great prayer. And we are going to see the church take off the dirty garments and we're going to step into his righteousness. We're going to step into those rich robes of righteousness, of his righteousness. And we're going to come into unity with the Holy Spirit. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit saying, we don't want you in the back room any longer. We want the fire of the Holy Spirit to invade our lives, to invade our hearts, to rearrange furniture, and we give you permission to put your finger on things that religion never touched. And I believe that God is awakening the church in this hour. Actually, Revelation twenty-two seventeen, I like to see it this way. It's the Father's gift to Jesus is the church on fire. Do you know that you are the Father's gift to Jesus? Let's look at this in John 17, 24. So I'm just happy, all right? I'm just happy. I just like talking about this stuff. I wish I had time. I remember because John 17, 24 changed my life. John 17, if you're like, I don't know where to start. I don't even know where to start in my journey in prayer. I would say John 17 is a great place. It's called the high priestly prayer. And it's Jesus with his eyes lifted to heaven, talking to the Father through the Holy Spirit, and all of us get to take deep notes as we see how God talks to God. That's one of the greatest verses in the Bible because it's God talking to God through God. God the Son talking to God the Father through God the Spirit. And we get to take notes of what the things that, that means the most to God. Jesus spends the first 20 verses in essence saying this, Father, you gave me this ragtag group of fishermen. You gave me these jacked up boys. And I didn't lose any of them. I didn't lose any of them, Father. You know Jesus takes great pleasure in keeping you. Do you know he takes great pride, good pride, in presenting you before the Father and bringing you through your darkest of nights and presenting you to the Father. He says, all of the ones you've given me, I've kept them all in your name. I've kept them all in your name. 
And Jesus loves keeping you. Take a deep breath. You're in the vice grip of heaven. Father, and then he gets to John 17, 24. And if you have kids, you might need to cover their eyes. Because the verses I'm about to read are the most glorious and crazy verses in the whole word of God. Let's go. Father, I desire. Everybody say desire. desire. I always knew God as the self-sufficient, the omnipotent, all-powerful God. But right here, I get to see that there is desire in the heart of God. Desire is in the heart of God. And Jesus is praying this before the Father. And he says, Father, I desire. I knew about serving God through duty and discipline, but I never knew about desire. When that word broke through the surface and touched my life, Christianity changed for me. He said, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, you can put your name in there, that they would be, number one, with me where I am. And then number two, he said that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before, everybody say before, before. the foundation of the world. Have you ever thought about life before Genesis 1? Jesus did. Keep going to verse 25. He says, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I've known you, and these have known that you sent me. Verse 26, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it. Do you know that Jesus was declaring Father's name over us this morning? Do you know that's what he was doing this morning? The name of Jesus, the name of the Father he was declaring it again. He was doing John 17, 26. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. It says in Hebrews 2 that in the midst of the assembly, I will declare your name to my brethren. He says, I have declared to them your name and I will declare it. Get a hold of this. That the love with which you loved me, that it may be in them and I in them. This is Jesus' prayer for you and me, Father, I know you love me. Who in here knows the Father loves Jesus? Two of you, good. You really want to know that. <laughs> Jesus says, Father, I know how you feel about me. That's awesome. But that's not what I want. That's not the only thing I'm praying for. I want you to take the love that you have for me, and I want you to put it into Upper Room Dallas in 2019. And I want them to love me the way you love me. You know what Jesus' prayer for you is? Is that you would love him the way the Father loves him. That's an awesome prayer. And who in here knows Jesus gets his prayers answered? Jesus gets his prayers answered. And that gives me great confidence no matter what you're going through today. No matter how hard it was and how hard this week has been. I want you to know that there has been a prayer that has been echoing off the walls of eternity from before the foundation of the world and there has been a burning desire in the heart of God that you would love Jesus the way the Father loves Jesus. There has been a burning desire in the heart of God that you would be with him where he is and that you would behold his glory. 
that a church would come forth out of apathy and compromise and lethargy and sin and religion and that we would come forth out of the ashes of our own brokenness and that we would come into unity with him and that we would behold his glory and that we would love him the way the Father loves him. I'm here to tell you, you want to anchor every, all of your anchor, you want to anchor it to those verses right there. But the thing I want to talk about this morning, and I want you to go ahead and turn me to Ephesians chapter 1, is this is the phrase I've been hearing about all week, just in my heart as I'm thinking about God. The church that longs for you, the church that longs for you, and I heard the Lord tell me a couple of days ago, he said, Corey, the church that will long for me is the church that sees me. The church that longs for me is the church that sees me. And I want to look at this prayer out of Ephesians 1. Thank you, Father. This is, in my opinion, one of the great, this is probably the greatest prayer in the Bible. Moses said this prayer in about three words. He said, please show me your glory. David says, one thing I want, I want to look at your beauty. Jesus said, I want them to behold my glory. And Paul prays it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 19. Guys, you want this verse tattooed on your spirit. I want to cut you, and I want to see you bleed this verse. I won't cut you, but I want you bleeding it. Paul says, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, everybody say the God of Jesus. Jesus. All right, that's a pretty powerful name right there. The God of God. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he calls him my favorite title of God in the whole scripture. He calls him the Father of God. Of glory. Everybody say, Father of glory. James calls him Father of lights. Hebrews calls him Father of spirits. Paul calls him Father of mercies. And Paul's saying right here, Father of glory would give to the church the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened and that you would know three things. What is the hope of his calling? Or in essence, number one, your eyes would get open to know where you're going. That your hope would get anchored not only in this age, but in the ages to come. Number two, that you would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Do you see it? Riches, glory, inheritance in you. That you would know who you are to God. Do you know that you are Jesus' inheritance? He's not just ours. Most Christians spend all of it about what we get from Jesus. Do you know Jesus is going to get something out of you? And do you know that you're Jesus' inheritance? You are the wedding gift from the Father to Jesus. You are his wedding gift. Hallelujah. He's going to take jacked up people like us. And he's going to present us to Jesus. And Paul's praying, you need to see what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in you. 
I want to tell you it changes things when you realize who you are to God. When you realize what you mean to Him and who you are to Him and what's been deposited on the inside of you, you live different. You think different. You, you make choices differently when you understand I'm the Father's wedding gift to Jesus. <laughs> and then number three, that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of His power. Next verse. The exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I like to think about it this way. We need the spirit of revelation to know where we're going, to know who we are to God, and to know that God has Resurrection Sunday on his resume. And that he is the God who specializes in raising dead situations, dead circumstances, dead people, dead marriages, dead children, dead finances. He is a specialist. He's a specialization. I don't even know the person's name. He's a specialist in dead raising. And I just, last night we were having our pre-service prayer and I just want to do this. J. Lou was praying before the service last night in our pre-service prayer and he was just saying, Lord, we, we pray to you and we love you and we honor you and we preach to you. And then it felt a little weird when he said it. I go, no, that's exactly what I wanted to do this weekend. Would it be okay with you if we just talk about Jesus, if we just talk about God? Is that okay? Can we just talk about him? Can we just worship him and we don't have music right now? Can we just exalt him and extol him, the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? I want you to know something right now. Can I just brag on dad? Can I? Can I brag on him and who he is and what he's like and how he feels and what I look like to him? Can I talk about him? Can we talk about him? I believe that that's what's going to shift the earth is a church that comes out of the spirit of revelation. There is nothing more emphasized by the Holy Spirit than the revelation of Jesus. There is nothing more attacked by the devil than the revelation of Jesus. And there is nothing more neglected in the church than the revelation of Jesus. But I believe there's a remedy that's coming. And it's called him. I love Matthew 16. Jesus asked two questions. And the first one is a trick one. Who do others say that I am? You know why Jesus would ask us that? Because he's saying, do you only believe in me because of what others say about me? Or let me break it down to you. Are you living your life through someone else? Because then Jesus gets up into our business and asks the most interrogating, invasive, provocative question that has ever been asked. Who do you say that I am? What do you really believe about this man? Because he's either a raving lunatic or he is the son of the living God. Peter goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I love Jesus because it's almost like the father snuck up on Jesus, took a donkey called Simon Peter, 
and release the holiest words that have ever come out of a human being's mouth. Because he's looking at this five foot five Jewish man who looks nothing spectacular on the outside. And that Peter, by the spirit of revelation, out of his mouth goes, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are the promised one who would come through David's lineage and who would sit on David's throne. You are the promised son of Abraham that would come and deliver Israel. You are the Messiah. You are Yahweh in the flesh. You are the promised one. You are the one. You are the lion from the tribe of Judah. You are the root of Jesse. You're the one who wrestled with Jacob all night. And Jesus goes, Simon, you didn't get this from a who do you say that I am conference. You didn't get this by reading some good book on Jesus. You didn't get this because you took good notes or you heard the right message or the right person's hand was laid on you. But my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. That right there is how Christianity works. The Father takes weak and broken people and gives us revelation of this man that you can't get from anybody else. That is the greatest need of the hour is for the Father to shine light on his Son so that you can see him like you've never seen him. And you don't get that at a once fill-in-the-blank quiz. I got that. That's not a check off the list. Now I'm saved. You're the Christ, Son of the living God. No, I believe that God, it grows you. He matures you. He brings you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the revelation of who that man is. He is delivering the church from the spirit of religion. And he is ushering us in to the spirit of revelation. He is curing the church from a great cancer, a great sickness that has plagued the church in DFW way too long. And it's called the cancer of boredom. It's called the cancer of I got that. I know that. I believe that he, Jesus' vice grip, Jesus' battle punch is about to punch through the spirit of religion and is about to break down on our nice cathedral, nice walls. And we're about to come into wonder and fascination and revelation and intoxication with the man, Jesus Christ. Our eyes are going to get open and we're going to see him like we've never seen him. We're going to see him and value him the way heaven values him. Oh, we need the spirit of revelation. We need wonder restored to the church. I'll tell you, here's the language of the spirit of religion. I got that. I know that. I've arrived. See, religion and revelation will say the same Bible verses. But religion is happy that they know it. Revelation realizes that they're in a paddle boat and everywhere that they can see is a blue ocean. And that they're at the beginning of 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 the beginning. 
Because revelation bankrupts you. Religion bolsters you. Revelation strips you and makes you to realize you don't know nothing. You don't know nothing. And that is the doorway into true knowledge is you don't know anything. It's called poverty of spirit that accesses the kingdom. And you've got to first be stripped by the spirit of revelation to enter into the knowledge of God. And I believe that God is releasing a death blow and he's awakening a church saying, it's not enough to know facts about Jesus, to know truths about Jesus. There's Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus that know things about Jesus. But it's one thing to tell me everything about the moon and to go to the moon. It's another thing for you to tell me everything about that outfit in the, in the store. It's another thing to walk into the store and put it on. And beloved, I, I just want to call us to the spirit of revelation. He wants to smack and break off the scales off your life. I believe it's scales of perversion and scares, scales of religion that he's breaking off the church. We're going to get our eyes back. Because to see him is to want him. To see him is to want him. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that God is going to release the great spirit of revelation. And I believe it comes to us understanding who we're dealing with. I believe he's going to de deliver us from dullness and boredom. Do you know what Ezekiel looked like by the time that Jesus was done with him in Ezekiel 1? This is what he did by the river Kabar for seven days. <laughs> Bible says that he sat by the river astonished. Think about if you came back here next Saturday and I'm still sitting on a stool. Has that ever happened to you after binge-watching Netflix? <laughs> Have you ever sat on the edge of your bed saying, I did not know that was going to happen. <laughs> it snuck up on me. I, I don't know. I didn't see it. I, I can't talk right now. Just leave. I'm going to regather my... No. He's going to deliver us from boredom. He's going to deliver us from boredom. Those creatures have been in the same room with the same person singing the same word forever. And they've never gotten used to him. Do you know that you will never get used to God? Do you know that you'll never come to a point of, when are we going to move on to something new? Do you think those burning creatures in the throne room have to stay there? The Lord told me that one day. He goes, Corey, do you think I make them stay here? Do you think I make them stay here? Do you think they get jealous of other angels in the new Jerusalem saying, I'd like to be by the tree of life out by the river? <laughs> you think they try to work out deals saying, hey man, can we switch jobs? I've been in this room for a long time saying, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> I, I love him and all, but it's getting old. Can I tend the tree of life? Do you understand that you couldn't tie it? a chain to a 747 to one of those hooves and pull them out of there. 
Do you know that they're not forced to stay in that room? They're not forced to stay in that room. Do you know who you're dealing with? Do we know who we're talking about? Do you know, because that's the ground of revelation, is God releasing a sledgehammer to everything you thought you knew. And he's got to punch you in the forehead to restore worship. Because in Genesis 1, you're going to get a powerful revelation. God is there. And you've got to ask yourself a very deep question from the very beginning of your Bible, and it's this. If God is there in the beginning... When did God begin? Have you ever jumped off the pages, friend? Have you ever jumped off the pages into what the Bible calls before the foundation of the world, where it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Before there was ever anything created, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Have you ever gone on the search of when he began? I remember doing this. Corey Asbury, the guy who wrote Reckless Love, had was in one of our internships in Kansas City, and he says this was the day he got saved when I did this exercise. I said, all right, everybody, close your eyes. And I said, who's your daddy? And they go, my daddy. They go, who's your daddy's daddy? Da, da, da. I said, keep going. I go, who's Adam's dad? God. And then I go, who's God's dad? And Corey began to tell the story about how he jumped off the page. I go, maybe a million years before Genesis 1. Maybe a billion, maybe a trillion, maybe 900 trillion, and you're going to keep running and running and running, and you're going to hit a wall called out of numbers. And when you hit that wall called out of numbers, I want you to look back to Genesis 1 and say to yourself, I'm actually closer to Genesis 1 than I am to the beginning. Do you know that you're dealing with someone uncreated? We don't even know what to do with that. We don't even know what to do with that. We are dealing with an everlasting God who has always been. He is everlasting goodness. He is eternal mercy, eternal love, eternal righteousness. He's always been. There's no one before him. Jesus is older than 33 years old. Do you know that? I love it in John 8 when he looked at those dudes and said, before Abraham was, I am. Mic drop of the ages. Everybody hold your hand out like this. He measures heavens with the span of his hand. Now do that. He measures all the waters in the palm of his hand. It's not poetry. He says the nations are but a drop in the bucket before him and the inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Do you know Jesus is not intimidated by DFW? He has Genesis 1 on his resume. He spoke into nothing and there was everything. Do you know Jesus is the word that created everything? I love the book of Job. We were talking about it last night. Job goes through a hard season, and then it's 25 chapters of their friends giving a bunch of human wisdom to try to solve infinite problems. And it's chatter, 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 and then God shows up in a tornado. And he asks 100 questions to Job with the same answer. 
And the answer is no. Job, were you there when I did Genesis 1? Did you hang the earth on nothing? Did you tell the proud waves they can come this far and no more? Do you play with Leviathan, that little serpent in the sea, and have fun with him? Do you hang constellations by the word of your power? Do you go feed the little lion cubs in the middle of Nowheresville? Do you send lightning in the desert just because? Do you know the mating season of the deer? A couple of hunters in here do, but other than that, you guys could go maybe yes on that one. Yeah, we study this stuff. <laughs> Why is God going to ask a man eating up with boils, lost everything, his friends over there with all their little advice? What's God doing? Because he's saying, Job, if I've got Genesis 1 on my resume, I'm upholding constellations by the word of my power, and I'm taking care of the smallest, most minutest details of creation and I'm upholding all of it by the word of my power, then surely I know how to bring forth the crowning jewel of my creation, you, and bring you forth into the fullness of, of your destiny and all wisdom and power and bring you forth to shine like lights in the earth. Which means, shut up, I know what I'm doing. And then for that God who hangs the earth on nothing, who humbles himself to behold the Milky Way, for that God to become a seed in the Virgin Mary's womb where the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. How did Mary not explode? How are you not exploding right now? How did Jesus not explode? How do you place an oak tree into a pot plant and the pot plant doesn't explode? The fullness of the Godhead dwelling in a five foot five Jewish frame. Yahweh in the flesh who created everything, looking at us, talking to us, patient with us, compassionate with us, loving us, tender with us, wisdom. And then that God climbs up on that cross and bears the wrath of God for the sins of the world. I love him. I love him for his power. There's two things that move you about God. His other thanness and his approachableness. It blows me away that that God, I was sharing it last night, John 11. He gets word that his friend Lazarus is dying. And as soon as he gets word, what does he say? This will not end in death, but it will result in the glory of God. The Son of Man is going to be glorified through this. And Jesus does something absolutely phenomenal. He doesn't translate to Lazarus' resurrection. But what he does in his compassion, in his wisdom, and in his power is he comes and he gets down into the valley of suffering of delayed promises, of not understanding what's going on, of God, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he doesn't bypass the process into getting right into the resurrection. That God who just did Genesis 1, Job, Isaiah 40, is the God who comes 
and he has coffee with you and he hears where you're offended with him and you don't understand what's going on and he doesn't shy away from that place. He sits across the table from you and he goes, I know and I'll give you all the time in the world. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of Jesus. And he says, we're not going to go to the resurrection until we get you through to this on the other side. And then we'll get to the resurrection. Guys, I just want to say to you right now that Jesus Christ is the most beautiful person that has ever been. And that there is nothing greater in the whole wide world than when God reveals God to your spirit. There is no higher pleasure than, one of, when, than when one of these words jump off one of these pages and get on the inside of you like Ebola and begins to spread as God begins to declare war on every lie, every argument, every stronghold, as he systematically infiltrates sectors and caves and isolated places and fragmentation in your psyche and fragmentation in your emotions and the virus begins to infiltrate and invade and the truth sets you free. The truth of his compassion, the truth of his righteousness, the truth of his power. He's not a hippie that wants everybody to get along. He is righteous and he's powerful. He's mighty. He's a confronter. And he'll go, we'll stay here as long as you need to, but my name is Truth. And I ain't budging. <laughs> He's the lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I've never heard that. Did you see that wave that hit the room this morning? Did you feel the wave? I've been reading Revelation 5 for 25 years. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seven seals? There's a search that goes out, a search in heaven, a search on earth, a search under the earth. And then the report comes back to John. There's no one found worthy. What does John do? He weeps. Have you ever hit the place of despair, hopelessness, and of God? There's no solution. Have you? Some of you are in that place of hopelessness and despair. And what hit the room like a battering ram this morning? Behold. Stop your weeping. Behold, there is one from the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. He has prevailed to open up the scroll and loose its seven seals. But it's not just, he's not just going to unpack the Father's plan for the nations of the earth. He's doing it in our life today. And the one that you can trust him, that when you hit your places of despair, I feel like God's coming in and he's saying, Stop weeping. Y'all with me this morning? Yeah. What scales are blinding you? When's the last time you cried when you read the Bible? When's the last time a word jumped off the page and you couldn't get it off of you? When's the last time a song got on your lips you couldn't stop singing? When's the last time a thought about Jesus 
just haunted you. And you couldn't just bypass it as you begin to think about John eleven thirty five. Because do you know what Jesus did right before he raised Lazarus from the dead? A storm came out of him. For years, I thought it was a trickle. I thought he was like a sniffle, like watching one of those Hallmark movies. And whoo, get that out of here. <laughs> well, we read the, the longest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. But do you know that's the longest verse in the Bible? Because it wasn't a sniffle, it was a storm. And it was a storm out of his eyes. And you have to stop and behold the storm out of the God who has all of that on his resume has come and connected with us in our deepest pain, in our deepest offense, in our deepest wonderings. And you have to ask yourself, the God who weeps, the God who weeps, the God who feels, the God who stirred, the God who's connected to my story, and that same God climbs up on that cross, and the punishment that is due us is unleashed upon him. He is beautiful. I believe that God wants to restore wonder to many of your hearts in this room. And I would say that most sin problems are just bored problems. Most sin problems are bored. You're just bored. Because religion got in and told you you've arrived. Religion said, well, we got this all that. Now what? Religion ain't going to satisfy it. He wants to bankrupt you, bankrupt your piggy bank of what you thought you knew. And bring you into a revelation of the beauty of this man. And if I can get, God, I want to know you for real. I want the spirit of revelation upon me. Can we put Revelation 1, just a couple, one more verse, and then we'll pray for you. Revelation 1, verse 10. Look at verse 10. <laughs> I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's today. And I heard behind me. Everybody say behind me. Behind me. A voice as the sound of a trumpet. So he hears it behind him. Look at verse 12. Then he says this in verse 12. Then, no, no, back. Right there, boom. Then I turned. Everybody say, I turned. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw. I want you to understand that John didn't see until he turned. John did not see until he turned. Most Christians come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and all they hear is the voice behind them. They'll hear somebody else saying it. They'll rejoice in somebody else's revelation. They'll dance around someone else's fire. They'll rejoice in someone else's prophetic song. They'll hear it. They'll hear it. They'll hear it. But they never turn. They never shift their life from just hearing someone else. Because God wants to do more than you just to hear a voice behind you. God is provoking a turning on the inside of you, saying, I want to begin to move into revelation at a deeper level. You can come Sunday after Sunday and rejoice. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. But I really ain't going to turn. 
really not going to turn. I'm really happy with the way things are. Life's nice. I like the American dream. Life's nice. I don't want disruption because turning is disruptive. Turning, disruptive. It breaks molds. It's hard conversations in marriages. It's hard conversations about maybe we need to sell some things so I don't have to work as much to pay for all my stuff. That turn is it's violent. That turn is violent. That turn's messy. I turn to see. You got to turn away. Some of you have real substances, things, people. What should be a once a month coffee date is a once every day coffee date, and they're running in a different direction. You need to blow them kisses and say, let's do it once a month now. <laughs> it's disruptive. I got lots of blowing kisses once a month coffee dates. I turn, you got to turn within. We could talk about Holy Spirit. You got to turn to others. Get, listen to this. Get around people that aren't trying to live on the fringes of a religious system without pursuing the fullness of Jesus Christ. I don't want to find out how much I can do and stay saved. I want to get around brothers and sisters that cut me. She starts singing this morning about something I never looked at in Revelation 5. You know what that did to me? It excited me. I felt God, and I got provoked. And I said, why haven't I seen that? Yeah. <laughs> why haven't I seen that? <laughs> Pulling on it. She provoked me. <laughs> you need to get around people that sing your song back to you when you forget it. You need to get around people that call forth the deepest longings of your heart in your most intimate moments with God and they sing it back to you when you forget it. That's the kind of people we need to run with. He goes, I turned to see the voice and having turned, he goes in this, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. You know what I love about verse 13? What, Corey? Jesus is in the middle of the church. He's in the middle of the church. And if I had time, I'd walk you through Revelation 2 and 3. Those are some jacked up people. You know what I love about Jesus? I'm right there in the middle with them. I ain't going anywhere. They're my people. Verse 14. His head, his hair, white like wool. White as snow. His eyes. Everybody say his eyes. That's what Jesus looks like in 2019. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Hallelujah. If the eyes are the window to the soul, what does that say about Jesus' soul? His head and hair, it speaks about this. You can trust his leadership in your life. You can trust him. Just say it. Say, I trust you, Jesus. Your plan is better 
I'll quit accusing the potter. Fifteen, verse fifteen. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters. What does that sound like? Sixteen. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I'm not talking about a courtesy fall in a ministry line. I love falling backwards, but I believe God's raising up a generation that's going to fall forwards. <laughs> Get it? I fell at his feet as though I were dead. I love this. This is one of my favorites. He laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Verse 18, get your seatbelt on. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. This was so good. Jesus became his own amen corner. You know it's good when Jesus says, amen. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. I came, I saw, I conquered. The book of Revelation doesn't begin with us running around from big bad devil. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling and the unfolding of that man, his wisdom, his beauty, his power, his wisdom, his glory, his resurrection, his power of deliverance over death. Deliverance over death. He has liberated us from the fear of death. And do you know a generation that gets set free from death? You become scary. You get scary. Because the fear of death keeps us holding on tightly to all of our stuff. The fear of death frees you. I believe that it's time. I mean, we can walk through Revelation 5. Just two more just because it's fun. She opened it up, put Revelation 5, verse 4 up here. Then, then I'll do one more. We're going to get the kids. We're going to get... We'll get Timmy in a second. So I wept much. No one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Verse 5, one of the elders slaps him in the face and says, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. Where's the lion? Where's the lion? Verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. 